I don't know if this is exciting. This is actually, it's not exciting, but I have sort of like a hot take, which is that. Uh-oh. I, <laughs> I sort of miss having to support IE11. And Shut your mouth. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy because IE11 is a, it is crazy. a junkie monkey browser. You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 122. And on today's show, we're going to talk about that one time at Code Camp. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. But first, as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. And Carol, it looks like it's your turn to go first. What do you got? Uh, yeah, I'm super sorry, guys, but I'm kicking us off with a failure. I really, really miss coding on the Mac, but I don't want to purchase a Mac right now. So I'm going to keep using my Windows box and my laptop to do everything. But I was starting some React training this week and just setting up, you know, like I had to install VS Code on my PC because I've never used this one for writing code. And I hit node-v. I'm like, what do you mean? It doesn't know what the command node is. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> how do you install node on Windows? And I'm like Googling, which then puts me down rabbit holes of other things I want to learn. And it's just been sidetracked kind of hell. But I do have code running. So that's a good thing. But I definitely miss my Mac. And I think that'll be one of my big purchases whenever everything kicks off for me. Were you always on a Mac or did you start on a PC and then go to Mac and now you're back on PC? Yeah, started on Windows developing CF and then moved to Mac. And I don't think I'll ever enjoy working on the Windows machine again. Yep. Yeah, it's so interesting. I followed the same thing. I was on a Windows computer for years. I only switched to Mac maybe like 11 years ago. And, and it, I really enjoyed it. At, well, at first I didn't enjoy it because I was so used to how Windows did things. And then sure. it was really hard, all the different key commands for Mac. But there was, it, it forced me to use the command line in a way that the Windows computer had never done. And I feel right. like that made me a better developer. I agree. Yeah, completely agree. I spent a lot more time in Terminal than I ever did on my Windows machine. I think my Windows, yeah. my Windows like limit to Terminal was... DNS flush, like something would happen, like IP config <laughs> DNS flush. That command on the Mac is scary, and I do not want to run it. Every time I look at it, I'm like, pass. <laughs> I don't even know what half of this stuff does. So, yeah, I didn't spend much time in terminal when I was using Windows. It's funny. I, I don't use a Mac. I've never actually never never used one before. But I, so I've always been on Windows. But ever since Windows came out with Linux subsystem on Windows, I use my Linux subsystem all the time mm -hmm. to do command line stuff. This guy, I mean, that's what I grew up on. I grew up on command line, right? I, I, you know, I was doing CPM and DOS before there was any user interface. So everything was command line back then. It was the only option. So that's just kind of comfortable there. And it, it, a lot of times it's a lot faster to do stuff than going to some interface and clicking oh, around yeah. and, and you can script it too. So, yep. Well, since we're all telling our, our Apple versus Windows history, I'll, I'll throw my <laughs> two cents in here. My First Mac was uh, like September of 2007. I bought a used one uh, and I liked it. But my first one that I bought for myself was uh, like Black Friday of 2008. And 
Oh. And for ever since then, that's been like, if I can't have a Mac, I'm going to go buy a food truck or something because <laughs> I'm, I'm not going back. Now I say that, but I also, I have a, a variety of Windows machines that I have to deal with on the regular, sure. not just servers, but also like I have a Windows laptop that I use to control my CNC and I have a Windows desktop in my office for gaming stuff. Eh, it's, it, it's enough that I, I get a taste every now and then. I'm like, yep, nope, still hate it. Going back, back. <laughs> I will say one thing that so my my VPS, my personal stuff is a Windows computer. And I don't know if this is the remote desktop system or if this is Mac, sorry, or if this is the Windows server itself, but they do honor the command C and command V instead mm. of control C and control V. And because that causes no end of suffering when you I, can't paste across operating systems. I think that's whatever app you're using to do the remote desktop is it's it like mapping yeah. it for you. Well, but. thank you, Microsoft Remote Desktop for, yep. for yeah. just helping. Is that me how out. you deploy your, deploy oh, your God. Control C, <laughs> Control V on remote desktop? I have a series of ways. Sometimes it's just straight up FTP uh, <laughs> OBS. And then sometimes I will use Beyond Compare. I don't know if anyone's used Beyond Compare. Oh, I love it's, it. It's such a great, you can compare mm-hmm. text files, you can compare directories, you can compare S3 buckets, you can compare Lots local and remote things. systems. So sometimes if I need to be a little bit more pinpointed in my development or my deployment, I'll Beyond Compare between the remote system and my local system. And then I can even patch like individual lines within the file between my local system and the remote system. So old school. Oh, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, I know definitely it's definitely done it that way. <laughs> so, so how is Visual Source Safe holding up all these years later, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> I almost snorted through my nose. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's me, boys. What you got, Tim? I'm going to go with the Triumph. So, last week I talked about I did a little design work. So, to, you know, to be fully transparent. I I didn't do the initial design. I, we have a customer that, that come on, we have to kind of imitate their site. So when they come make a payment, it's not too jarring of an experience to jump from their site to ours. And our our, our lead designer, Bonnie, she she did the initial work. And so then I and then I went in and kind of put all the the nuts and bolts and getting the the site working. I had to interact with the design. And I I do so much server backend stuff that it's like my Front end stuff is so choppy. As I have to look mm-hmm. everything up. Like, like how do I how do I validate that something's a required field and show you know like the little so I had to look all that up. But I got it all working and it looks it looks really really good. I showed it to the customers yesterday and they they were just absolutely blown away with it. So I was pretty happy about that. So nice. Not something I do often, but when I do it, you know, I always feel oh wow, I, I can I can do it if I have to. That's great <laughs> as long as I have <laughs> <Yeah>. help. <laughs> Yeah, we have sort of part of one of our products is supposed to be sort of white label-ish. Like it's supposed to look like it's Mm -hmm. part of our customer's website. And so uh, just about every time that we sign a new customer for this product, I get tapped on the shoulder and it's like, okay, here's their website. I want you to go uh, basically like rip off their website and make like make a skin for ours that looks like theirs as much as possible. You know, drop this and drop that. We don't need every little feature, but. And it's fun because it's like, it's a challenge, right? I got to mm-hmm. go take somebody else's design and it's probably on Drupal and using, you know, who knows what CSS framework. <clears throat> and I'm supposed to, and I get, I do that and I get their style guide and I go and like, yep. okay, how do I make this work with my CSS grid, you know, layout and mm-hmm. all that. So it's, yep. it's kind of fun. And so I, I heavily use like CSS custom properties, which is the worst name for a feature ever. And <laughs> instead of like variables, it's custom. Pro- anyway, we're, we're way off track here. Sorry. <laughs> What were we talking about? 
<laughs> Triumphs and fails. <laughs> Triumphs and fails. Yeah, so we do ex- exactly what you said, word for word, exactly the same thing, Adam. So yeah, yeah. But it's cool where you can you know get it looking close and nice, and they're like, oh yeah, this is good. So anyway, that's me. How about you, Adam? So I also am going with a triumph this week. I have talked a lot lately about all this compliance work that I've been doing and I've been in a lot of meetings and writing policies and just doing like anything but writing code. And so this week I was very excited when it turned out that I got to write some code and it's actually a really interesting project. So basically like my wife got home from work the other day and I was like, I wrote code all day today. And she's like, wow. And and not only did I write code, I wrote tests for it. This is, you know, like I'm I'm totally on the testing is good bandwagon, but most of the code that I write is like such a minuscule add-on to a whole system that doesn't have any tests and and it's the platform isn't easy to test on. It's just, you know, it's like a Sisyphusian task to try to write tests for that that product. So I, I kind of just ignore it there. But like when I'm starting something new, Greenfield with the like node type thing, I try to do things as right as possible. So I'm sure we'll get into this in the the discussion today. But basically, I am writing a tool that will automate secret key rotations, which integrates with our one password for our team. And and it, like it auto rotate access keys in AWS IAM, IAM user accounts and update them in one password for us. And it's written in TypeScript and it uses the Fancy. AWS SDK. And it's yeah, it's like really well tested and I'm super happy with how it's going and yeah and it's been interesting to work on so I'm excited about all that that's been great and then sort of double triumph here I will not be on the show next week because I'm going on vacation what who proved your time off (laughs) I did I have never been to the Grand Canyon and our kids are old enough now that they'll be able to remember it so we are taking the family and we are going out to Las Vegas let's go on vacation that's right we're going to Las Vegas and then up into I guess Arizona and Utah to go to Grand Canyon. I'm gonna check it out. Cool. Fun. I already have my dad jokes all like figured out and queued up. <laughs> I, I want to circle back to this one password thing for a second though, because so how do you have your one password set up in, in, in a way that your script can actually communicate with it? Yeah. Is, is there a CLI that comes with one password or something? There is. No but that way. is totally that is totally separate from what I'm doing here. Just like, you know, so yeah, you sort of like uh, the gateway drug to 1Password is like, I need personal password management, right? I've just, right. I need a password management for my computer. That's my life. Yep. yep. And then, and then you get into like, okay, I, there is a 1Password CLI and you can hook it up with a little bit of extra work so that you can have secrets in your 1Password that when you, like we have a, our, we, we wrote a wrapper around. So the, the 1Password CLI command is OP, right? 1Password. And we wrote a wrapper around that that like pulls in the, the various configs that we would need. So ours is OPIQ, right? Because our company is on mm-hmm. IQ. So we do OPIQ, NPM install, whatever, right? And so what happens is OPIQ runs and it says, okay, well, I need to pull in these config files. And so it, it pulls in certain secrets from our 1Password and makes them available as like, for the duration of this command, they become available as like environment variables. Oh. And then... And then different, like, so our NPM RC, where you would have a session, not a session token, but a, an access token to hit your private NPM repository, has just a token there, like a, you know, the, the NPM token in squiggly brackets with a dollar sign in front instead of having the actual token there. And it pulls it out of the, that environment variable. And then, so that's just like, that's just, you know, making developer lives safer and easier and all that. And that has absolutely nothing to do with this secrets automation, which is what I'm working on for auto-rotating keys. So let, let's get through triumphs and fails, and then we can come sure, back sure, and talk sure. about that. But. <laughs> Very cool. 
So yeah, I'm I'm super excited, and we leave in like less than 48 hours to go on vacation. <laughs> so well, y'all have yeah. fun. Thanks. All right, so that's it for me. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with a failure. I'm going to call it a light failure. It's more of a uh, an emotional failure. So I've been upgrading my site. I mean, upgrading in quotes here, but I'm, I've been evolving my site to use the Hotwire framework. And part of the selling point of Hotwire is that it keeps the page in a long-running process and intercepts links and form submissions and then performs those actions via fetch. And it's supposed to reduce the amount of stuff that the page has to load. Well. Now that I have that up and running, I am discovering that the page request, or the, I should say like the asset loading, does not appear to be the bottleneck for performance on my site. The actual round trip between the browser, or as it turned out, the round trip between Cloudflare, which is my CDN, and my origin server, or my VPS, is the bottleneck. And uh, that's a tough pill to swallow, because it means that essentially nothing I do on the front end is going to be able to to make that feel faster. So, do you know like what sort of network throughput you're getting to your VPS? Is it on ten one hundred or like a thousand gigabit? And, and it seems to be something. It seems to be the fact that I'm routing through Cloudflare that is the the point of latency. So to test this, I created another subdomain on my site, and I added that to my DNS, which is being managed by Cloudflare. But I had Cloudflare not proxy that subdomain so it's just doing the dns management it's not actually managing the traffic itself Mm -hmm. and you gray arrowed it yes that sounds right uh (laughs) so when i if i take that page that test page on that subdomain and i hit it through cloudflare as a proxy it the times are all over the place but it sort of is in the 200 to 250 millisecond range which is still sub second but like you notice that that's a human mm-hmm. eye picks up on that pretty easily. You know, that's an, that's the speed of an animation. If I do the same request, not going through Cloudflare, then it's usually in the like 50 to 70 millisecond range, which now you're talking about, maybe you don't even notice that, you know, you probably still notice mm-hmm. it, but it's not, it's not, you don't feel it the way you feel 257, 250 milliseconds. So, you know, it's like nothing's really wrong. It's more hmm. just like it took the wind out of my sails a little bit to see that. Well, you thought you I were mean, optimizing stuff and it didn't optimize. Yeah. You know, it's like, not to get on my high horse for a second here, but it, it's like high when people time. talk about languages, right? And they're like, oh, you know, your cold fusion's so slow. Like if you switched over to a, a Go, you could be doing, you know, 50 teraflops in a little bit <laughs> amount of time. And then you look at the person, you're always like, dude, it's the database. The database will always slow you down. Like it doesn't matter yeah. what you have in front of it your database is going to be the, the the bottleneck. And I feel like I've hit that from the network level. Like the cold fusion response times on my server are like, you know, usually around five milliseconds. And then if, as like I've been tracing it out, and then if you look in the IAS logs, which is what the Windows server sits on, then it's like that five millisecond response from cold fusion becomes 70 milliseconds from IIS's perspective. So that, you know, there's some latency there. And then between that and the CDN, it's like another 180 milliseconds. So it's, ah, I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I think I might just turn off the proxying. I mean, I didn't have proxying forever. And I turned it on because I thought it would just like make everything cooler, you know, in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and Buzzword compliant before. I, I know. And, you know, it's a blog. It's not like I'm, I'm I, I, like, even if someone wanted to do something malicious, I don't know how much they could actually do. So... 
anyway, that's me. I'm getting over my frustrations. Oh, I'm sorry for your latency. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Well, we said we were going to talk about code. Let's talk about code. It is the Working Code Podcast, after all. <laughs> Do it. You want to kick it off? Sure. Uh, it's okay. So I'll, I'll dive into some detail about that secrets automation stuff. So basically, here's the use case. We have some IAM users that we that represent our customers, right? So basically, a big part of what makes our software work is our customers give us large files of their data on a daily basis, right? So where in the old school days, maybe, you know, they would you know, use a modem, dial in, drop in a flat file of like, okay, the first nine characters are this ID, and then the, you've got the next 16 characters are the name and all that, right? Like, instead of that, we've got them uploading files into an S3 bucket, and then they hit an API to let us know that the file is there, and we go consume it, and we import it and all that, right? And so, in order to share that S3 bucket with them, we have IAM users set up for, you know, an individual user for each customer, and that gives them access to their private bucket so that there's all kinds of separation. There's no chance of anybody's data going to a different school or whatever like that. And so we have all these users, one for each customer. And as I've been working on the compliance stuff, that's like, you know, maybe this key is a little stale. Maybe you should think about rotating it because, you know, seven, eight years is an awful long time to not <laughs> rotate a, a secret. So I started like, okay, we could just do this, but we're going to get dinged for it again in six months or whatever, right? So let's, if we're going to do it, let's do it right from the start. What, what does that look like? We evaluated a couple of different things. AWS offers like a secrets manager sort of thing. And that has its pluses and minuses. But where we ultimately landed was using a, a feature of 1Password called secrets automation, which is basically you can, they offer a couple, it's it's complex and, and whatever, but necessarily complex, I think. So you have a vault with some items in it that have like usernames and passwords and stuff in them. And you can set up secrets automation. You basically like create a sort of a secrets automation user is how I think of it. And that user, you'd say, okay, can access these vaults and you pay by the user vault connection, right? So if you have one user connecting to one vault, that's like one token. If you have one user connecting to three vaults, that's three tokens. Or if you have three u- three users connecting to three vaults, that's three tokens. And you, and so the, the free tier is three tokens. And after that, you have to start paying for it. And they come in like bundles. And so, let's see. Basically, we have a one password vault that'll have some secrets in it. And you can put like tags on those secrets, right? And then I have, then to, to be able to access those, access those from within your environment, you have to just basically stand up a couple of Docker containers, right? So they give you like one that will sync itself with your one password database, I guess is what you would call it. And then another one that is REST API for get like reading and writing those those secrets from the local cache and the local cache seems to be updated like instantly so i don't whatever whatever <laughs> it is what magic, it is magic magic yeah. behind the scenes kind of like uh <laughs> like a launch darkly you know the they've, mm-hmm. you know your your server sort of keeps a local copy and so you, you've got your secrets automation config done you have your two containers running and that container like has secret stuff like you have to when you create the user account you have to download keys and you include that in your container when you start it up in your environment and so by being inside of your environment you can make it available to all of the apps and they can go pull secrets through the rest api to you know get whatever access they need and then i have basically the thing that i've been working on is a lambda function that will run on a schedule it'll 
iterate through the items in the 1Password vault. It'll look at the tags to say, okay, today's date is March 30th. Are there any items in this vault that have a tag that say rotate me on March 30th? And if there are, it will say, okay, well, what type is it? And it looks at the, the tags for that. It says, okay, is it a I like an AWS IAM access key or whatever, you know, like there's, I have type tags defined. And so like that tells it sort of what can, what can do the rotation for this entry. And then based on that, then I know, okay, I can go out to AWS, use the SDK to create a new key, deactivate the old one if I want to delete any old keys, because you can only have two and yada, yada, yada. And then I update the item in one password and push that back up. Um, so that's like all of that. And then the uh, sort of the other piece of this puzzle is we need to be able to not only automate the, the key changes, but we need to be able to communicate those to our customers. So the, right. the general plan is, so we have a way to schedule using tags on the 1Password entries. We have a way to schedule when they will be rotated. And I used a separate tag to schedule the deactivation so that we can say, okay, we want this secret to be rotated once every quarter. Right, so maybe like January first, April first, whatever the other months are. Right, rotate the key on the first of the month, and then on say the tenth of the month, their previous key gets deactivated. So you've got that like ten day window where both keys will work, but then on day ten, the old one's going away, whether you're ready or not. It's going to <laughs> automatically. So you better be on top of it. You got ten days to to get it done and and sort it out. You know, whatever, and and then so that's the the overlap in time for them, and then I'm I'm thinking two things so far, possibly a third. One of my coworkers has something he wants me to consider, but the I'm thinking we need a screen in our admin because we have a lot of very granular role based security. So like I can say Ben can access the page that shows the S3 access key, right? And so I want to like be able to display it on that page, and I'll use the secrets automation REST API to pull it out of one password at the time that you view the page and just show the current, the like the, whatever the two current keys are, or if the other one has been deactivated and there's only one current key. And then there's, so I'll have it there. And then I'm also thinking like an API so that they could, if they wanted to on the second day of the month, say, okay, well, what's the new key? Rotate all of their stuff on their end automatically. So that in theory, all of the key rotation on all sides of everybody is just automatically done and we all stay safe and nobody has to fret about it at all ever, right? That would be so nice. So like, yeah, like there's always going to be those users that are like, can you send it to me in an Excel file? Uh, or like, can you take a screenshot of it and paste it in a Microsoft Word document and <laughs> print it to PDF and send that to me? Like, no. But yeah, so, so for those people, we'll show it in admin, like for the customers that aren't sophisticated enough to use an API. And then for those that can use an API, we'll, we'll offer that. Uh, access to it that from the, from there. So it's super exciting to work on. Very interesting. I'm writing it in TypeScript doing, oh, that's the other cool thing about this. So I, you know, of course, this is something that has to be super resilient, right? So I, I have been very gung-ho about I wanted to do TDD on this and I wanted to like have really good test coverage on the features. And so I had, to, I had a lot of things to figure out, you know, like how do you, how do you, mock the AWS SDK, right? You can't... <sighs> what do <are> you... <laughs> Tim just made the funniest face. He's like bullwinkle horns at me over here. And yeah, like... 
So I started out uh, kind of, I was just like, I'll put that one aside and I'll just think about the one password side first. Because just a REST API, you have a, a bearer token that you have to include in the request. Pretty simple to, to mock, right? And so actually, there's this great library called MSW, Mock Service Worker, which is for, it works both in the browser and in Node. And it basically just intercepts HTTP request. So, mm-hmm. and, and you can say, okay, if you get a request for this URL for, with like a post or whatever, this is the response. And so like you, the, the code doesn't actually have to mock the 1Password SDK. I still use it, but when it makes an HTTP request, I just get to defi- define what the response is and it never actually makes it out to the network. So mm-hmm. awesome. Very fast, very well controlled. But then when I got to using it for the AWS SDK, I was like, wait a minute. Now the SDK like signs the requests and you have to have like a signed response and it's all kinds of like extra security. How the heck am I going to do this? Well, like one quick Google search and I found there's a, I guess it's created by somebody, you know, public, but it's it's even endorsed and, and pushed by the AWS team. They have a post about it on their blog. There's a, like an, somewhat official, officially unofficial SDK mocks for the AWS JavaScript SDK, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, they work really, really well. Yeah, yeah. super easy I use, to use. Yeah, I used them in Jess when we were testing all of our TypeScript code and it was just yeah. the best thing. Yeah. Yep. So that's been a, a lot to figure out. I still have some TypeScript stuff. Like I, I, I truly believe that TypeScript is the future of oh, JavaScript so nice. for me. I love it. I love writing it. But I'm I'm struggling a little bit with like writing TypeScript libraries and like sharing them between applications. Although I, I think I might have figured something out with this project. You know, like the last thing I did was like, okay, I've got a bunch of sort of utility modules in a group in this in this package, and I am compiling the package to like Common JS, and you know, of course, that strips all the TypeScript and stuff out, and like. It works with some projects, like it works in my Svelte project that I'm working on, but it didn't work when I tried to import it here. And there's all just all sorts of like compatibility issues. And there's 11,000 different ways that you can compile your TypeScript, like target this and whatever library, or you can do ESM or CommonJS and all this. It's such a pain. But once we get that figured out, TypeScript is definitely the future. (laughs) (laughs) If it's not Rust, I mean. (laughs) I have heard that building libraries with TypeScript is a whole different kind of adventure as opposed to just building an application with it. I feel like I just marathon talked for a long time. Somebody else go. Well, I have a question for you. Are you logging the connections made with the keys as they come in so you would know if someone continuously like uses the key that should be expiring or you just wait till day 10 when they can't access anything? You're talking about like one of my customers drop a file in the S3 bucket. I guess that's probably possible, but no, we're not. Yeah, you know, they're monitoring. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, we do have like things that monitor to make sure that the tables that we're building from those files are getting updated. So if, you know, if a table starts to be stale for like a week on end, we're like, hey guys, your thing's not working. What's going on? Do you need some help? But other than that, we just kind of like, you know, let them shoot their own feet if they would like to. <laughs> so you just wait for them to yell and say, my key doesn't work anymore and then point them to how to get the new key, the um, new secret. It's like key, the new secret. Well, the, eh, I don't know. Like we, we, we haven't rotated their keys on them very much. <laughs> uh, like every now, so, you know, uh, like any software project, we kind of started naively and, and had to figure sure. it out as we go. And like, you know, six or eight customers in, we were like, oh, okay, this is the way we should be organizing them. We have like, now we do it, like they all are a very consistent naming pattern. And we have a policy that we just, a single policy that we apply to all the users. And it looks at the username and that determines what 
S3 bucket that they can use because it's like the bucket is same name as the user sort of thing. Okay. And so the policy is like a reusable policy in that case. And so like once we figured that out, then we rotated the the old ones that didn't have the, the right username to be able to do that. But yeah, it's been several years since then. So we haven't really rotated them since then. But So it's going to be an adventure when it actually starts happening. You'll see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, when we get there, basically sort of the, I haven't really thought through the entire rollout plan yet, but it's something along the lines of, I'm just going to take all the current secrets and put them in the vault that would auto-rotate them, but I'm not going to have any like rotate me tags on them or or deactivate tags. And then I'll be like, okay, these secrets are here available to you. And on, you know, the, the first day of the next quarter, they are going to change and you will have 10 days. So, you know, I'm giving you, Three months notice, you need to be ready because you're, then you're going to have a 10-day window where your key is going to change sort of thing. And and I can always, you know, that's the nice thing about the way that we did it. Like, instead of building the rotation dates into the software, doing it by tag means like, oh, if I've got one customer that's like, we're not ready, we're not ready. I can just be like, okay, I'll, I'll remove the tags from yours and you can have an extra month or two months or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. User adoption's hard. So hard. <laughs> Uh, th- this is somewhat tangential, but just talking about all these keys being used reminded me of this thing I saw or I heard about one time on a podcast. And I don't know if this was Amazon doing this or if this was another service, but you can create these honeypot alerts mm-hmm. where people will generate fake credentials and store them in their source code so that in the event that the source code is ever leaked and someone tries to use those credentials, it'll set off a bunch of alerts that someone nice. tried to use these credentials that, that aren't supposed to be used, which, I don't know. I feel like that's such it, a clever thing to do. It, yeah. it is, but also, like, how do, you, how do you do that in a responsible way, right? Because So you don't want to put a comment right next to it that says, this is a honeypot, don't use these keys, right, don't erase right. them. How do you make it look real? Right, but how do you, and how do you communicate that to the team? Like, it's here to be a honeypot, don't remove it, don't. You know, don't try to change it. Yeah, know, yeah. Like, it sounds very tricky. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a human communication problem, which is the hardest part of software. But yeah. Anyway, your stuff sounds really cool. It um, does. It's yeah. been super exciting to work on, and, and I've only been working on it for like two and a half days. So. <laughs> yeah, I can nice. see it in your face. You look super eager about it. Yeah, I wish I had something cool to work on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same old stuff. <laughs> so, anybody else got something exciting you want to talk about? I don't know if this is exciting. This is actually, it's not exciting, but I have sort of like a hot take, which is that. Uh oh. I, I sort of miss having to support IE11. And Shut your mouth. I know that sounds crazy because IE11 is a, it a, is crazy. a junky monkey browser. But what I appreciated about having to support IE11 was that work had a known quantity to it, meaning that there was this static bar. That you could look at a feature and say, does IE11 support it? And if they don't support it, at least can I degrade gracefully in a way where an IE11 user could still use the feature, even if it's not, it doesn't have all the, the razzle dazzle that, that a more modern browser would have. And what I'm feeling now, post IE11 days, is this just big question mark always around, can I use this? I'm looking at my user analytics and I don't understand all the browser versions and Mozilla doesn't even list IE11 anymore, but I, maybe I don't even care about IE11, but it's not like not every browser supports everything all the time. 
And and I feel like we a little bit act like, well, now that I-11 is not here, everything's just good to go. And mm-hmm. and that's not the case. And I and I don't I don't know how to move forward without the kind of bumper guardrails that I-11 gave me. What sort of web features are you using that you have to, like, we're not talking about rounded corners here. We're talking about, like, you know, webcam access or P2P type stuff, like, doesn't work. I don't know. Like, I I guess, and and maybe that's just that I'm not yet familiar with with what features are available in all the browsers. So I I still use, I use Parcel to compile my JavaScript right now in my personal Mm work. And you can put a little browser compatibility thing and i just have it set to defaults i don't even really know what that means i think it's like last two versions of each browser or something Mm -hmm. but you know then you want to throw in something like safe navigation operator in dots or or like the null coalescing operator the question mark question mark can i throw in the the pipe operator is that even a real thing yet and like at what point do i have to say well this works in chrome 97 plus but anyone who's on an old iPad is obviously you know, like probably still on Chrome 78 and won't be able to access this feature. And and I don't know. I just like it. It just it's it does. I don't have the confidence that I used to have when I had when I had to live in a world where I 11 had to work. I, I guess I understand what you're saying is that instead of knowing that everything sucks all the time, now you just don't know because sometimes it could suck and some, sometimes it's yes, not. exactly. <laughs> The, the suck you know well is better than the suck you don't know, I guess. <laughs> it's not that kind of show, Ben. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to know the kind of person who's like, hey, my IE11 stopped working. Can you fix it? I don't want that person. I don't want to yes. know that person. Yes, I can fix it. Here's a stick of dynamite. Put this in your CD-ROM drive. Yeah. But like, so so I look Browsers my- are free. No one has ever paid for a browser. So like as an example, I look at my, my JavaScript error logging for my site and I have loads of errors where it says something like I, ex- uh, like the browser expected an expression, but got a dot instead. And it's probably me using something like a safe navigation operator and whatever's hitting that site, which, you know, for all I know, 90% of the time is some sort of bot that doesn't know how to do it for some reason, mm-hmm. but it's just, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the error logins not very insightful. So, so let me ask you, so let me show my ignorance. So how do you log a client-side error so that you can see it? There's a global error handler in the browser, and people would typically okay. override that and then, and then push that stuff up to a, a log repository. Or, you know, yeah, you could gotcha. email it to yourself. Yeah, so like yeah, tools like... Yeah. Like Raygun or Sentry yeah, or exactly. you know, Rollbar, all these not sponsored tools. That's what they do. No, in fact, I'm using Rollbar and, and I don't pay for it. So I feel very limited in how I can complain about it, but it's it's not very good. I I, I want to look for something else. I want to look for something else that has a free tier. <laughs> yeah, I'm reasonably happy with Sentry that we use for work, but I, I don't know what don't free tier free is tier. like. We, yeah, okay. Because they, they have a lot of like really advanced stuff, right? Sentry is yeah. the one that has the replay and stuff. They just added replay. Yeah. yeah. Log that Rocket, I think, so is cool. the one that had session replay for a long time now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't know. You know, like, I'm, I use Flexbox for a lot of stuff. And again, I even would. supported Flexbox. <laughs> Ooh, I love Flexbox. So that, I love Flexbox. No, I'm just saying, yeah. it's very on brand for Ben. Flexing. Oh. <laughs> Flex. You know, and, it, and like, I want to start embracing CSS grid where it makes sense. But 
like, can I just throw CSS Grid everywhere now? Oh, like, hell yeah, everything dude. supported? I don't know, but I, it, it's great. I, I've been using CSS Grid with, 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 is it with abandon, without abandon? I don't know, whatever. I don't, I, my, I, I, I deploy my CSS Grid and then I throw my hands in the air like I just don't <laughs> care, right? Like, <laughs> It's, Car- it's, Carol it's, looks shocked, but I think it's just because she has a pen in her mouth. <laughs> no, not shocked. All just right, do so, it. Yeah, maybe I just have to not worry so much. I, yeah, Wor- worrying is very on brand for you, though. Yeah, totally. That's my that's mm-hmm. my move. <laughs> yeah, total mood. Poems and worrying. <laughs> How about you, Carol? Yeah, I can jump in. So I am learning React. So that's the code thing I'm doing right now. And I'm doing that because I signed some work. So Ooh, I I nice. need to I need I to know. write React. I didn't realize that I don't like JSX. Like I am not a fan of mm. my script looking like HTML. Like I I don't know why. I enjoy when I'm like writing like my divs that I go in there like with Angular and I like double curly bracket and pass through my variable to get the information. And when I'm in a script file and I'm looking at these script files and the, the HTML look is inside these files, I'm like, do I have to do this with React? Like, is this required that you (laughs) have to write code like JSX in order to like be a cool React developer? Because the internet seems to think you do. And I don't appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it feels very, very Cold Fusion Five, right? It's you, you don't, so awful. You don't have to, but if you don't, <laughs> if you try to do it, like, which is like, okay, you know, what is it, uh, React dot, or it's like React Dom dot create element or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, it's what it oh, is. Oh my god, it is awful. Like, yeah. to try and, like that's what it's happening under the hood when you use JSX. But but to me, it's way easier to read React dot create hmm. element than it is to look at divs inside script files. Hmm. I. I don't well, enjoy it. You said you're learning this. How long have you been doing it? Like, is this just your like day one reaction or? Oh, this is, yeah, probably my day one because yesterday I was very angry trying to get Windows set up to, you know, <laughs> write code. So I quit and had a drink and, you know, cleaned the pool. <laughs> so this Call is back. just, this is my day one. Like, why would anyone want to write script like this? I can't, I, I can't yeah. make myself want to look at this. Well, I'll I'll take that one step even further, and this is an even spicier take, which is that I don't even like the idea of a single file component. I I would much rather have my HTML in one tab and my CSS in another tab and my code behind another tab. If for no other reason, I don't want to have to constantly be scrolling up and down in the same file to find the things Mm -hmm. that relate. I could. It's much easier for me to like. What it's muscle memory. What is it? It's like all. Com- or like control all left and right to get between the tabs in my editor. I I, I know it's a hundred percent subjective, and I know that Agreed. there are people Agreed. who hundred percent are like single file components. Finally, the, yeah. Yeah, the promised land is here, and uh, it's really hard for me to <laughs> embrace the idea that it's all subjective. But it is all subjective. Well, I'm glad we have a diversity of opinions on the podcast. It's nice to know that somebody on here is representing the wrong opinion. <laughs> 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 well, here, I have a question. So, you know, what do they say? It takes like 21 days to form a habit. Is that something like that, right? I, I believe that my my life coach and guru, personal guru, Ben Nadell, said that. Yeah, so, something, <laughs> something like that. And I wonder how many days, like just as a litmus test, how many days of doing something that you don't enjoy because it is unfamiliar, does it take for it to become pleasurable because it's finally familiar? Or 
can you draw a line in the sand? Say like, hey, I've been banging my head against this for 21 days. I didn't like it on day one. I still don't like it on day 21. It's not just me not being familiar with Mm. it. It's just not enjoyable. And like, you know, how do you find, how much time do you give yourself? That's a good question. I, I, so I was, I was sitting here as you were asking the question, thinking about my journey with flossing, which is uh, somewhat <laughs> unrelated. The dance he's talking about, of course. No, the dance, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking about oral health. You know, I, I didn't grow up Kinky. flossing. And so, you know, as an adult, I've just had to get in the habit of it. And so I used an app that like, you know, it gave me, it showed me my streak, right? So I would like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've been flossing every day for a week or, you know, don't break the streak sort of thing. And when I hit the like one year mark, I think I had like one or two days throughout that year that I missed, but I'm like, okay, it's good enough, right? Like wow. when I hit the one year mark, I was like, okay, now I can stop using the app. I've built the habit and like, yeah. I still do it, you know, like, so that for me, that was it. Like, you know, I, it, until I hit the year mark, I felt like, okay, I, I still have to try. Right. And, and now it has, now it feels weird when I don't floss. Yeah. But so, so just to, to, fine point the conversation there i also floss i don't enjoy flossing but i do it because i know it's good for my oral health yes um but, but what Tim i'm is saying is like right now so carol's on day two of jss of flossing oh yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and there are people who saw jsx and loved it and there are people who Ugh. saw jsx and hated it and then they grew to love it you know, at how many days or weeks does Carol have to give herself to say, look, just keep doing it? It's I mean, unfamiliar. is that even an option? No, I was just going to say, like, as long as the, the money contract. comes, yeah, as long as the money comes, <laughs> I'll learn to love it, right? Or I'll hate it and still keep doing it. I think you, you are not alone, right? A lot yeah. of people, when they saw this, they were like, ew, why? No, yuck. Yeah. But then, you know, over the years, people have come to accept it. And, you know, maybe it doesn't feel 100% natural. But when you use it day in and day out, it, it starts to at least be familiar, right? And and you start to understand what's happening. And so it doesn't, it, so it's like, you know, when you are eating dinner and you get thirsty, you don't think, okay, I need to set down my fork and then I need to reach over there and grab my cup and I need to lift it. You're just like, I need a drink. So you pick up your glass and you do it, right? It becomes muscle memory and second nature. You don't have to think about the steps. You just do it, right? So then eventually you'll get to that point in the code it, it, when you're working on the code where you're just like, okay. You know, I'm I'm looping, and then okay, here I'm outputting this div with this stuff in it, and it's like it's it becomes second nature where it's it's you don't have to think about what's going on; it just is apparent to you. I think reading it isn't the problem. Like it's not like looking at it, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. the way that it looks. I don't like it. I don't like how it looks. It's not pretty. <laughs> Too many pointy brackets. Yeah, come on. And then the other thing I'm not liking is. This community likes two spaces for a tab instead of oh, tabs. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> oh. Who does this? Who, who? If you're going to use spaces, at least make it four. You know, yeah. like what the heck is two? Two is Sweet the worst. Child. Yeah. Oh, my oh. condolences. Thank you. I am probably going to get in trouble for checking in code with bad spacing. So we'll see. <laughs> so I assume that this is the client you're working for that, that they're on React and they want you to just kind of work on. Yep. Can't, you don't really have any leeway on what you're doing. Oh, they told me I had options for change. So we'll see how that all works. Spell. But yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is government. So I doubt there's very much option uh, for change. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they're on React. I always pictured the government as being more of an Angular group. This is their only React app. 
Yep. The whole government. <laughs> the whole government. <laughs> That's why they're hiring her. Yeah. I could, I could tell you more in the after show about sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Ooh, secrets. <laughs> Spicy. Uh, yeah. Nuclear launch codes. Well, so on the subject of React, I have found that now that I have really kind of completely dove into the pool with Svelte, where like I'm, I'm really working on an application that would be like an evolution of our product and trying to get that baseline figured out. I, when I have to go back and write React now, and I, I'll just finish with my original thought first before I come back to it, but I, I really don't like it. Like I'm, I'm frustrated going back to React because Svelte is just so much better in so many different little ways, right? It's like death by a thousand paper cuts sort of thing. And I get really annoyed having to go back. And I, I really honestly think that it's mostly the fault of Next.js, which is a weird thing for me to say or weird, weird thing for me to feel because for the longest time, I was like, if you are going to write, and I guess I still feel like this way, if you're going to write a, a React app, I think Next.js is the way to go, right? It's the best meta framework available. But <sighs> there's things about Next that just, piss me off so <laughs> like i i'm i'm smitten with svelte and nobody's gonna change my mind i do want to watch a course on svelte because i am fascinated by the by what people are talking about i just i know so little about it they, they have a really great like a self-guided tutorial on their website i i think um, i've tried the tutorial and i got overwhelmed with it, it has like 78 yeah, sections yeah. in it or something i'm like I'm like, That's I just true. want to know how it works. Like, yeah. I don't want to know the syntax okay. yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you some video links. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like conference talks. But I, I, the thing that I get hung up with React all the time is, it, it feels to me like so much of it came from this idea that maintaining state is hard. I have this count variable over here and i don't want to do count plus plus because then some other thing that might have to check on that count is going to get out of date eventually so they they took away the state or they took away the state in a way that i felt was very easy to manage which is mutatable state and they built this huge huge infrastructure around workflows that facilitate unidirectional data flow and and the and hooks and now pulling in like use state and I'll tell you, like, if I if I look at a React component from eight years ago that was a that had like a the render function and some use state, and then I look at some of the stuff that people are building today, it's like I'm like it's so complicated looking. It's so complicated looking with the hooks and the dependencies and things have to mm -hmm. be in a special order. I'll sometimes I'll do a pull request at work and someone will send me a PR and I open up the PR. And it's a component, and I swear it has like 37 use statements at the top of the function. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? This is easier for you people to reason about? <laughs> it does not feel easier. It's easier than learning Redux. Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess um, I, I never had a problem with mutative, mutable state. It just seemed to be pretty fine. Yeah. So I, I, I totally feel you. And I think that maybe the distinction is that. React came out of Facebook. So you have to remember that this came out yeah. of like probably the website that has the longest running single page app sessions on the planet. Right. 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 Like, right. And, and so mutable state there and, and side effects, and, you know, like things, it's exactly the same reason that like it's just 
smart to reboot your computer at least once a month, if not like once a week, right? <laughs> like so many of us just like close the lid on the laptop and oh, all of a sudden I've been running for six months and I have like three security <laughs> updates I need to apply. And you know, it's the exact same thing with with a single page app in the browser. Like there are benefits available to you to just refresh the page, right? That'll clear up so much cruft if it's a, especially with mutatable state. Uh, and I think that that's what they were solving for. I guess. And then I get so jaded because I'm an Angular fanboy. So I've been loving on Angular for a decade or, or however long. And <laughs> Thank and you I, for bringing the diversity of opinions. Yeah. And I, so, and I saw, <laughs> and the problem is, is like, I saw a wave of people leave Angular and go to React because they're like, oh, React makes everything so simple. It's so bare metal and I can learn JavaScript. And now I see this like wave of people now moving away from React towards things like Svelte and Vue. And they're like, oh, how great is Svelte and Vue? You can just increment a variable when you need to increment. I'm like, yeah, that's what you had 10 years ago. And <laughs> you went to React. What's the, oh, I remember when I was trying to learn Angular, the thing that was like, took me so long to, to remember, I forget what it was called, like a Deckler directive. directive. Yes, thank uh, you. Yeah. Those were a lot. Very difficult to yeah, wrap my head directives, around. Directives, yeah, you got to wrap your head around them for sure. But everything is a directive in Angular. But yeah, I, and I was on like Angular one dot two or one dot one, something like that. It's a long time ago. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> You're right over there, Ben. <laughs> I'm good. Are we boring you? No, I just get so frustrated with people. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not you guys, obviously. All right. Oh, is that it? Have we beat this horse to death? Yeah, I mean, I've got no nothing interesting to code talk about. Yeah, okay. Been doing this, some cold fusion, some Scala, and some HTML, and yeah, nothing, nothing exciting. HTML, Sorry. you say? Ooh, cold fusion. Tell me exciting. more. CSS. Yeah. CSS. Ooh. Uh-huh. And just dealing with the upgrade to Java 11, and they don't have the XML bind. They deprecate the deprecated now they actually removed it from java 11 so i'm trying to figure out how i can get that back so i don't understand anything you just said but that sounds good that's all right didn't know it happened <laughs> all right well i guess that's going to do it for us this week this episode of working code is brought to you by a diversity of wrong opinions <laughs> 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 and listeners like you if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe then you should consider supporting us on patreon our patrons cover our recording and editing costs and we couldn't do this every week without them special thanks to our top patrons monty and Giancarlo. if you'd like to help us out you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod and all of our patrons every single one of them gets access to our after show which is after we stop the recording for you guys we're going to go and tonight we're going to talk about the business side of creativity carol wants to talk about react for her new gig and apparently you can't copyright generative art that was a mouthful but that's on the after show and if you want to find out more you're going to have to pay for it <laughs> sorry but that's on the after show. And if you want to find out more, I guess you're just going to have to become a patron. Your homework this week is to, once again, leave us a review. Go to workingcode.dev slash review. And if you've already left a review, do another one. <laughs> just do it. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters. No joke this time. Seriously. You guys, your heart matters. Take care of yourselves. We love you. Aww. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.